Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Last night was really the first night in the midst of all of this that I just couldn't sleep. I wonder how you are feeling about what is happening and how, not only how, you know, you are adjusting in terms of work and family and church and worship and all those things, but, you know, what are the physical, uh, what are the, the physical realities that correspond to all of this? Um, I spent more time outside yesterday than I spent inside. That felt like a good adjustment. Um, but last night, I will tell you that uh, just before I went to bed is when I received the alert from the Associated Press that the president had extended the social distancing guidelines by 30 days. Um, I read Dr. Fauci's announcement that we are facing the prospect of millions of coronavirus cases in the United States and almost certainly more than 100,000 deaths, even with mitigation. Um, uh, that's a lot of families. That's a lot of grief. But the grief that we're experiencing is not just confined to the actual deaths of our fellow Americans and fellow church members and, um, you know, fellow residents of a particular state or fellow countrymen. Um, We're grieving so many losses right now. And we want to give one another permission to grieve. And so I do think it's worthy of just acknowledging that everyone grieves differently and everyone grieves different things. And so children may be grieving not being at school for different reasons than you are grieving them not being at school, right? Um, I may be grieving that I can't be with my mom tomorrow on her 82nd birthday, um, but I'm probably grieving for different reasons and in different ways than she is grieving um, in terms of the fears that we face uh, at this stage, age and stage of life. Um, And so grief is totally reasonable. And each and every one of us processes through grief related to different um, occasions, related to different events, and we do so differently. And so let's give one another a lot of space right now to grieve. Um. Things are going to move you to tears today and tomorrow and in the coming weeks that would ordinarily not move you to tears. Things are going to move other people to tears in the coming hours and days and weeks that would not ordinarily move them to tears. And let us be um, merciful and patient and kind and gracious to one another in the midst of those moments. Um. For some people, it's going to be the first time they've cried in a really long time. Um, That may surprise them. It may surprise them how they feel afterwards. Um, They may want to talk. They may not want to talk. And so those of us who don't process verbally out loud, I know that may surprise you, um, uh, we, we need to process in the, you know, in our quiet space, just us with the Lord. But those of you who need to process out loud, you might have to tell us, hey, I just need to process this out loud for a minute. 
I just need to figure out what's going on, and I just need you to listen. Let's be gracious and kind to one another in the midst of these very new uh, kinds of days. All right, I'm going to talk uh, with Dr. Linda Mental again today. She and I are going to talk about worry and anxiety, um, you know, not in the promotion of either one, but actually in how to cope with both. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show here on the Faith Radio Network on Saturdays. Um, you can also find her online at drlindamental. I don't have the website up. Is it .com or .org? .com. .com. drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Hey, it's good to talk to you again, uh, Carmen. I, I tell you, I really appreciated what you just said about grief um, because I, I hear a lot of people you know, who are really struggling. We all are in, in, in very different ways. But I hear people say, I have no right to feel that because people are dying. And I'm only experiencing this, whatever that is. And I really want to encourage people that whatever that is, don't minimize it. Don't act like it's not important to you and do what you said, which is talk it out, write it down. If you're not a talker, uh, you know, help maybe even express it through art or um, some type of music or movement, uh, because grief does need to be observed. As C.S. Lewis said, it needs to be expressed. And it's important not to minimize the, the losses that you're feeling. You know, I, we had a conversation. We were all supposed to be at the beach this past weekend with a mini family reunion. And, of course, that didn't happen. And my daughter said, I, I just feel terrible talking about this because, you know, I've got, I've got friends whose family members are ill and all the things around me. And I said, well, it's okay. We can, we can talk about we had a, a family reunion planned and we're not going to see each other. And that is a loss at this moment. It's a loss that we can all discuss and talk about and find other ways to, you know, plan for the future and do things. But it is important to acknowledge those feelings and let people know that. Um, you, you know, you're struggling a little bit. You just want to talk it through or, or write it down or spend some time with God and think about it. it. It's okay to do that. The grieving of the loss of uh, of health for some people and the grieving of the loss of security, the grieving of the loss of mm-hmm. a job or the grieving of the loss of the last semester of a senior year in high school or in college, the grieving of um, of just simply the loss of connections with other people. The grieving of the loss of Easter Sunday worship, like, right, we are all Mm -hmm. going to um, experience some grief in terms of not only the regular rhythms, those are already completely disrupted. Um, But yes, family vacations or weddings we had planned to attend or, I mean, the list is very, very long. um, And each and every one of those is a grief and it is worthy of, um, of the grieving, even if it doesn't sort of, you know, compare on the scale of grief to the loss of life. I mean, like you and I both recognize um, that the loss of life is is significant, is going to be significant, and each one of those um, are going to be grieved in new ways as well. People won't be able to attend funerals. They're, it's just right. going to be a whole new experience. But we need to give one another, um, grant one another the grace, the mercy, and the space to even grieve 
the small, what are considered the small losses, Mm -hmm. they're still significant Mm -hmm. to the individual experiencing them. They are. And then recognize in the midst of that, that, that those stages of grief, which are not linear, you know, they, they cycle in and out and you might be experiencing that in your family. You might be experiencing that with a friend who you're talking to where, you know, this denial kind of comes up in, in many times. Well, I, I certainly I'll be able to do that. Or certainly it isn't that bad that we can't do and, you know, just fill in the blank. And then the, you know, the anger that surfaces and people are feeling kind of angry that they have to be in their homes and that they have to be doing certain things a certain way. Uh, and then, you know, there's the bargaining part. Well, maybe if I do that, then this. Um, and then sadness as we re- deal with the reality and finally, you know, when people get into acceptance. But that cycle can, it's, it's not linear. It can come and go in all different phases where people can feel angry one moment, sad another moment, in denial about something at one point, you know, bargaining with God about something another time. And you, you just need to recognize that those stages are there and they're part of dealing with the new normal that you're talking about and the, the um, undergirding of, um, I mean, the lack of a, a real sense of safety and certainty, even though we never really had certainty and we didn't really have control, I think we all get lulled into a sense of routine and feeling somewhat secure. And when something like this virus happens, it really shakes the foundations. And in, in any kind of mental well-being, that foundation of safety is critical um, to people feeling okay. And that's why, uh, Carmen, our faith is just so, such an integral part of feeling safe. I, I get up every morning, and I'm sure a lot of people are doing this and reading Psalm 91, and I, I, I just dwell on that that first verse that says that if we dwell in the shadow, we're dwelling in the shadow of the Most High. We're resting in His shadow of the Almighty, and He can be trusted. He's our rock, He's our fortress. We have to find our sense of safety in God and knowing and trusting him that he will work us through whatever losses might come our way, that we will, he will be with us. And I love the way Philip Yancey put it. He says he, he doesn't promise to take us always out of difficulty, but he does promise to walk us through to the other side. And so we're walking through and we can hold the hand of God and lean into him and have him as our source of safety. That really, really helps in difficult times like this. I am talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find her at drlindamental.com. When we come back, we're going we're gonna to talk about the topics of worry and anxiety and prescriptions for anxiety. Um, that's more next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can find her at drlindamental.com. You can also listen to her right here on the Faith Radio Network at the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about worry and let's talk about anxiety. You've got a, a post at myfaithradio.com on prescriptions for anxiety. Um, you just you just take the conversation where where you want to lead us now. Well, I, I took that scripture in Philippians 4, um, 6 through 8, that a lot of people are familiar with. But I looked at it with the eyes towards anxiety, which is 
part of what it's focused on. But it's very prescriptive, Carmen, when you look at it and you start to pick it apart. So when you, when you look at those passages, the very first thing in there is that we need to talk to God, and we can talk to God about everything. Um, all the things that we're experiencing right now, it's perfectly great and good to go to God and say, here's where I'm struggling, here's where I'm focused, here's what I'm facing. Um, you know, he doesn't get overburdened with this. Sometimes our, our family members and our friends can't handle it very well when we're, when we're talking about all the things that are bothering us and what we're anxious about. Sometimes other people get even more anxious hearing your anxiety, and they don't want to hear it in a, in a way. Um, other people are really good at listening and not taking that on and just being a very calming presence. But with God, he, he's never overburdened. He never... Um, gets tired of hearing what we what we're thinking and what we're feeling. He loves the communication with him, and he doesn't think that anything as we were talking about before is silly or unimportant. You can bring all things. You can cast all your cares. Scripture says, on God. And then the second part of that verse says, then just make your request known. Um, tell God what it is you need. If it's peace you need, tell God you need peace. If it's you know, to to let go of those worried thoughts and, and to live in concern. You know, I, I really want to make a distinction about that as we're talking about worry and anxiety. There is a big difference. And when I was writing that book, Letting Go of Worry, I spent a lot of time thinking about how do you really let go of this since there's so many things to be concerned about around us. But when you're concerned, you're looking at it straight on. You're, you're not circling the problem. You're trying to problem solve. You're trying to do the things that are in your control, and you're trying to go forward with a meaningful plan. But when you're stuck in worry, you're not doing any of that. You're just circling the wagons and, and you know, just going over and what if, what if, what if. So it's a very different process to actually be concerned, to talk about the reality of what is maybe fearful out there, what we should be doing, how we should be responding. Um, and so that's a different, a different, I think, a different um, way to look at it. So you can tell God, you know, help me with the worry portion of this, which is the mental part of anxiety. Help me let go of that, but understand that I need to live in reality. I need to be concerned. I need to be taking care of others and taking um, care of myself. So ask him whatever it is. And the scripture says, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. So I think we need to be very bold and very specific in our prayers when we're talking to God. And then the next part of that prescription is to thank him. I mean, he's already working in the situation. He's already in it. He's with us. He's there. And, and, and again, it doesn't mean we thank him for all the terrible things that are happening. That'd just be silly. But we thank him because he died on the cross we're about to celebrate Easter, which is all about the resurrection, that he took, he experienced everything, he took everything to the cross that was sinful, and he left it there, and he gave us a new birth. Be thankful that we are with a God who is living, who can meet our needs, who can be with us. Thank him for anything he's done. And then believe, believe that he can help, believe that he can heal, believe that he can provide, believe that he is working in your circumstances and then finally, uh, the part that most people are familiar with is the part where we really meditate and we, we land on the promises of God. Um, and I know I'm old enough to remember a, an old hymn we used to sing in church that said, there are a couple of them actually that come to mind. One was, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm standing on those promises. 
And then another one I remember, it was page 43 in the hymn book. <laughs> I still remember that as a kid, was count your blessings, name them one by one. And and the, the passage in Philippians is telling us to think on these good things, these true things, the things that God has promised us. And when we do that, it does bring a peace to our heart and our minds will be guarded by all the bad news. So what an incredible prescription that that passage is about be anxious for nothing. But he doesn't just say that and then leave us. He gives us these very prescriptive steps on how to do that. It's interesting that you make reference there to some old hymns. Um, I have a six-year-old granddaughter, and one of her responsibilities is, um, well, responsibilities. She earns money if she mops. And so she mops because, you know, she gets a dollar for every room she mops or something. And so she was mopping, um, but she was holding the hymnal, the old hymnal in her other hand, um, trying to read the words and sing while she was mopping. And she commented to her mom that, you know, this is really hard to do both at the same time. And we were just, well, we were just reflecting on what do you think it is that's drawing her to those old songs, to the rhythms mm, of mm-hmm. those those concrete assurances, those real promises. These are not light and flighty uh, praise choruses. You know, this is right. the firm foundation. This is, um, you know, this is the God who is immovable. This is, um, you know, I, I do think there are some assurances in the singing of the old hymns that mm-hmm. speak to us right now. Yeah, I found a, a, a student of mine who is ill um, and is waiting for her test to come back, and we're just believing and praying that she'll be okay. Um, she sent me an, a, a YouTube, and they're all over. You can you can find them if you just Google them. But she sent me a beautiful. It was actually done in Nashville. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful, um, you know, group group sing on "It Is Well with My Soul." And I mean, I watched that and I was just moved to tears when I was watching that and singing songs like great is thy faithfulness just has the words. You know what I was thinking when you said that, Carmen, when my dad was dying and I was at his bedside um, and I was he was in his you know final day, we spent time just singing all these old hymns. And the words were so meaningful in terms of, you know, what he was experiencing as he was getting ready to move into eternity. And he was singing songs like, I've got a mansion over the hilltop, you know, and, and, and songs that he would start to sing that were all related to the promises of God, his faithfulness during difficulty, and the hope of what we have in Christ and what awaits us on the other side. So, there is nothing. I am so grateful for my own training in the church that I, I was, uh, I was exposed to those hymns, and I, I'm in a more liturgical church now that continues to to sing those hymns, and reminds me of the powerful words in there. I think it might be a good exercise for people just to look up. You can look up lyrics.com, and you can look up the lyrics of any kind of a song, and I think hymns are on there as well, and just read through the hymns and meditate on the words. They're, they'll bring great comfort uh, to your soul. Absolutely. I, um, I, I think we're going to find creative ways to maybe redistribute old hymnals that have been in the, you know, in the back storage rooms of churches for a long time. Um, maybe this is a good time to get those out, set them on the front porch of the church and put out a sign that says, you know, free, free to, 
free to anybody mm. that needs some encouragement. There's just a lot of the Word of God woven into each and every yes. one of those hymns. Linda, thank you so much. I want to direct people to drlindamental.com. Also want to invite them to visit myfaithradio.com and read the prescriptions for anxiety post and also listen to uh, the podcast there from the Dr. Linda Mental show that aired on Saturday. You can then be an ambassador of this ministry by sharing that link link with someone who needs um, some encouragement today. Thank you, Linda. We really appreciate it. Great to talk to you again. Stay safe. Let's, let's take a break for Breakpoint. With my soul. So thank you to those of you who are um, sending me screenshots of those hymn pages and sharing what you are singing uh, in your own families. Judy has sent us a message that she and her husband sang under his wings. And my faith has found a resting place this past weekend. Um, so you can always let me know what you are singing, what's in your Quarantunes playlist this time around. 877-933-2484. That's the text line, 877-933-2484. What's, your, what's on your Quarantunes rounder in terms of what's on your playlist, maybe on your on your iPod? We actually set up a, um, a Pandora station for our family during this time and we're just letting that run over our television like right so all kinds of ways that you can continue singing to the lord our god in the midst of all of this okay up next i have got dr zach jenkins he's an infectious disease expert he and i are going to talk about not only updates in in terms of the current information but we're going to talk about uh, facts, not fear, awareness, not anxiety, preparedness, not panic. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Max Locato here. I'm just checking in to, to make sure that you're feeding your faith more than you're feeding your fears. You know, if you feed your faith, your fears will starve. But if you feed your fears, your faith will. So we have to make a intentional decision during this season of high anxiety and turbulence to encourage one another and to feed one another's faith. And also we need to take the initiative to feed our own faith. So I encourage you, my friend, I encourage you, don't give in to despair. Don't give in to anxiety. We're going to get through this. We really are. I know that we're getting new news day by day. I know that developments are changing, it seems, by the hour. But let me tell you the thing that has not changed. Our Heavenly Father is still on the throne. Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins. He is an infectious disease expert. He serves on the faculty of Cedarville University. Um, Zach, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's good to talk with you. So each Monday, you are offering this really helpful update via YouTube. Um, And I watched last week's update, and I just thought, we got to have him on. We got to have him Help us. Um, I loved. I loved your walk off. Facts, not fear. Awareness, not anxiety. Preparedness, preparedness, not panic. 
So let's just um, let's give people a little preview of what you're going to be talking about today in your sort of Monday. What do we need to know today in terms of an update on COVID-19? Sure. Um, so, so basically, I think one of the big questions people really had lately is what about testing? Um, there's been a lot of buzz in the media about how we've been behind in tests in the United States. And obviously, if you can get tested, you know for sure whether you have something or not. I, I'm sure you've probably heard some, some people you may know that have even said, hey, I think I had the virus at some point. Um, I've certainly heard that a lot myself. And, and so some of our, our testing uh, developments are kind of what I'm digging into this week. You know, what's been done, where we're at today, and kind of where we have to move, uh, move forward with. Well, you kind of provoke an interesting question there. If somebody thinks that maybe they've already had it and now they don't, I mean, you know, they're, you know, they're weeks beyond it, would they still test positive? So it depends on the kind of test that's being used. And that's actually been one of our limitations in the United States. So, um, and really throughout the world, the, the primary test that we've been primarily, that we've really been using is what's called a polymerase chain reaction test or a PCR for short. And all that really tells you is that someone actually has the virus in them at that moment when you run the test. So as you can imagine, if I run the test and someone's had the virus previously, it's going to come back negative because they probably aren't, they don't have that organism in them at that point in time. Um, So the limitation we've had in the U.S. is we aren't able to detect something that's called a zero prevalence, which is really telling us who's had the virus, who doesn't have the virus, who currently has the virus. So that missing piece of information of the people that have been exposed and they've gotten better um, really kind of affects all of that modeling, all those projections you always hear talked about. Um, so the new test that's out there, one of the new tests that's out there, is an antibody test. And this will actually, actually allow someone to detect whether someone actually has the virus now, uh, as well as if they've had it in the past and have developed some immunity to that. All right, again, I am talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, Zach, let's um, let's take a step back. I think there's probably a lot of Americans who are paying attention in new ways to this conversation about um, exponential increase because we've actually begun to see exponential increase um, and here in the United States. So I know that this is backing up to what you talked about in last week's video, but can you talk a little bit about the curve? Um, because at least I have some I have some older friends who I don't think they understand all of this. They seem to think that as long as we social distance for a couple of weeks or as long as they sort of self-quarantine for a couple of weeks, you know, then they can get back to life as normal and life as usual. That is not at all what we're talking about. Right. So so when we think about the curve, it, it's really a uh, model of where we think people are going to have a peak number of infections before the uh, the virus would actually go away um, or, or there's enough people exposed that you wouldn't really see a lot of new infections. That rate of infection starts to decrease. Uh, so that's when you have the, the, incre- the uh, infection increasing, that's where the curve kind of ramps up. When it decreases, it ramps down. Um, unfortunately, if we didn't do anything to mitigate it, the concern was always that we'd have this really high spike where we have so many new cases a day that our healthcare system would be overwhelmed because we do have limited resources. And so if I use Ohio as an example, um, I know in, in our state, they were projecting at our peak that we were going to be seeing over 40,000 new cases reported every day. 
And if you look at the data, um, even just in Ohio, we're seeing hospitalization rates somewhere between 20 and 25%. Uh, we only have a few thousand hospital beds in our entire state. And if you do the math, you can very quickly see how that could be overwhelming for hospital systems. Um, and that's not even getting into discussions on things like ventilators and ICU beds, which are even more precious resources than that. So, so the concern is, you know, if, if it spikes too quickly, it'll overwhelm us. And the thought is if we really decrease how quickly that, that rate of infection occurs, we delay the overall onset of when the peak happens. And, and when it does peak, it's a lower peak. And the other thing that that does is it buys the healthcare system time and, and our government time, our, our population time, to prepare for all those things. So we're able to try to allocate resources to, to really deal with that situation when it does come. But we're still talking ultimately about a fairly high percentage of Americans contracting the coronavirus. Um, and so can you talk about that? Um, and um, and maybe, maybe after the break, we could come back and answer the one question that I get most often. <laughs> I get two questions, and I'll, I'll preview them in advance. One question is, how can I avoid getting it? Um, and then the other question is, how long are we really going to have to practice social distancing um, like this re in this really limited um, fashion um, for the virus to run its course and actually be safe in terms of not contracting it? So those are those are like the two questions that I get most frequently that I don't know how to answer. And so let's take a brief break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins. I'm going to let him answer the questions um, that you are posing. How can I avoid getting it? And then how long are we really talking about having to wait out this virus um, so that it would be safe before, um, you know, where I wouldn't even have the risk of contracting it if I went back to normal, quote unquote, normal life. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We make a I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, he is every Monday doing a really cool YouTube or a video presented on YouTube where he's giving us an update on all the things that we need to know. And from a perspective of facts, not fear, awareness, not anxiety, preparedness, not panic. He's very measured in his tone um, and he has great visual aids, which obviously I cannot share with you here on the radio or via the podcast. So, um, First of all, Zach, what's the easiest way for people to find the YouTube video? Uh, so if you actually look up Cedarville University's YouTube uh, account, you'll actually find those videos posted on that account. All right. So we're going to go to YouTube. We're going to search for Cedarville University. And if you type in COVID-19, this video pops up first. So that might be the series of words you want to put in there. YouTube.com, Cedarville, um, and then COVID-19. I know that this video will pop up if you do that. Um, and you're going to do another one today? That, that's correct. I actually, I taped it yesterday and uh, it should be posted later today. Oh, fantastic. All right. So now to the two questions, one which was well-formed and one which was horribly ill-formed, but hopefully you understand it. The first question is, how can I avoid getting the coronavirus? So obviously the, the biggest thing, and this, this is what we're encouraging is social distancing. Um, in reality, just, just for everyone to be aware of, the expectation is that somewhere between 40 to 70 percent of the country will encounter this virus at some point this year. Um, but to avoid getting it, trying to limit 
how closely you interact with people, trying to stay about six feet apart, um, because we know that the virus travels through respiratory droplets, so when we cough or sneeze, it can go up to six feet. Uh, trying to limit large gatherings. So I, I know that the, the president's uh, coronavirus task force has actually recommended keeping it under 10 people. Um, some states have had different things that they've chosen as that number, but it's certainly the, the less uh, groups of people that you're around that aren't necessarily your immediate family, the better. Um, the other thing is just making sure you avoid touching your your face, which is something that I struggle with personally, just as an example. Um, we do it all the time. We don't think about it. But this virus can actually enter in even through your eyes. So it can come in through your eyes. It can come in through your respiratory tract. So you have to avoid touching your face for those reasons. Uh, making sure you wash your hands frequently. Uh, so, you know, 20 seconds or happy birthday twice. Uh, that really helps to make sure that you eliminate that virus. And, and hand sanitizer is okay to use, too. It's more convenient than soap and water. Soap and water is a little bit better when you can use that. And then the last thing I'd probably add is uh, just making sure that you decontaminate commonly used surfaces like doorknobs, like uh, grocery cart handles, uh, anything that you think that uh, is, it could become like a reservoir for the virus. Okay. And then let's just say I do not want to be in the 40 to 70 percent who contract this this year. Um, how, how long would I have to basically stay out of circulation, um, before I could feel confident that the virus had run its course? It's a very good question. Uh, what I can tell you is we don't quite know yet for sure how heat is going to impact this as we start to shift through our season. Uh, if we look at other coronaviruses and other RNA-based viruses like uh, RSV, all of them seem to kind of fade off by the time we hit the summer. So there's great hope that that's early studies are suggesting that that might be the case, but we don't know a hundred percent for sure. Um, I will say that we have some, some cases that have been reported along the equator. So that's kind of like one of the things that makes us go, Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. So the, the best, the best case is probably uh, mid late June, everything is good to go as far as not having to worry about this at all. Um, but even as we start to see these peaks drop off, you're still, it's still really encouraged that you try to practice all those different uh, things like washing your hands, disinfecting surfaces, et cetera, even if you start going back to work. So I heard you say mid to late June. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to pin anybody down. I'm simply trying to prepare all of us to have some reasonable expectations. Um, and so I think when we're talking about now an additional 30 days um, of in terms of the guidelines related to social distancing, that puts us at the end of April. I just know as a you know, as a family with kids and lots of conversations about what's going to happen at the end of the school year. Um, you know, what's ha going to happen with graduation? What's going to happen with, you know, the first camp that kids were thinking that they were going to start attending in late May or early June? I think we have to have an expectation that is longer rather than shorter in terms of when things are going to return to quote unquote normal, which I think we're going to find ourselves in a new normal after all of this. Um, but what I hear you saying is mid to late June, in terms of um, maybe where we are on the downside of the curve versus the up versus this increasing side of the curve. Did, is that did I, did I hear that accurately? It's it's possible. Um, 
it, it kind of depends on where you're located. So, you know, if we were to mm. break this up regionally in the United States, some of us are a little bit earlier in this process than others. New York, of course, is, is very far ahead of people, as is California and Seattle, in terms of where they're at on that approach to that upper side of that peak, right? So the, the highest number of infections you can see in a given day. Um, but, you know, in most projections, if we look at the data out of China as much as, as, much as we can rely, rely on that, and certainly the things out of Italy, um, after so many days, we start to see that drop off. So for sure, we're thinking May is probably where, by May, mid-May, most people are probably going to peak in the United States, hmm. um, what most regions would have. So that, that means that probably by the end of May into June is when most people start to really see that drop off. So that's kind of what our current modeling is showing us at this point in time. Um, but, you know, I, I'm with you 100%. My, wife's, my, my, my wife teaches third grade, and so she's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, are they going back to class? Are they going to have to teach remotely for the, for the rest of the year? Um, you know, on, on the academic side of things, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, do we, do we graduate our students physically? Do we have, like, a delayed graduation later in the summer? All those questions are, are coming up for sure. Yeah, it's just it's a it's an extraordinary time. We appreciate your expertise and your willingness to share that expertise with us. Dr. Zach Jenkins, you can find him at Cedarville University. I really encourage you to go check out uh, the videos that he is posting on YouTube. You just look on YouTube for Cedarville's uh, YouTube channel and you will uh, type in COVID-19 and Dr. Uh, Jenkins videos will pop up. They'll populate. They're definitely worth watching. I really appreciated the graphics you included last week. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Absolutely. It's great talking with you. We'll be right back. We are going to uh, remain steadfast and encouraged as people of hope. We are Um, possessed of the spirit of the living God, and we are going to enter into this day with hope. We live in the midst of people who are very anxious, um, very fearful, and many of them at the point of panic. And you and I are going to be people who, in the midst of that, um, respond with prayer. We're going to respond with scripture. We're going to respond with the knowledge that um, we are secure in the love and the grace and the mercy of an everlasting God. We are going to sing. Uh, I appreciate all of you who have texted in the songs that you are singing. Oh, and one um, listener texted in, hey, what about David Aikman? Let me give you a quick update. David's fine. He's fine. He just missed the call last week. Um, Time change over there changes differently than time change here. Um, And this week we thought that bringing um, Dr. Jenkins on to give us an update on what is happening related to uh, the coronavirus is really important. So, but but uh, David Aikman is fine. He uh, thanks everyone for their prayers. And um, so that's just a thank you for thinking of him and um, reminding me that I needed to give you all an update on one of our regular guests. All right, we love being with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please share this, um, this podcast with someone else. You just go to myfaithradio.com. You grab a link to the podcast and you share it via your social media with someone else. We will be here every day, bringing you up to date and giving you encouraging words from the Word of God. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.